Hello everyone, my name is Alicia and welcome back to Luck Be a Soldier, a podcast where my father, Major General Ali Kiza, speaks to us about his over 50-year experience as an active member of Uganda's Air Force. In the last episode, we heard about the beginning of the end of Idi Amin from the perspective of this soldier. Today's episode is a continuation of that. So hello dad. Hello, young lady. In the last episode, during the beginning of the fall of Idi Amin, you found yourself hiding out at a friend's house when soldiers came knocking at the door. Yes, this was Good Friday of 1979. As I was sleeping, a soldier knocked on the door. They went and opened for him. I hid in a wardrobe. But they talked to him out of searching the house. What exactly was the soldier looking for? Well, soldiers were patrolling and looking for former Idi Amin soldiers, I would think. At that point, the army, Idi Amin's army, was completely disintegrated and Ugandan exiles were the ones in charge. Yes, at that point, Uganda National Liberation Front had taken over. The previous day, President Rule, Yusuf Rule, had been sworn in as the new president of Uganda. So there was no more Uganda army of Idi Amin. I'm not sure I understand how that can happen, how a small group of people can come from outside of the country and take over a whole army. The people who came were not a small group. It was the Ugandan exiles who maybe were small, but they were reinforced by the Tanzanian armed forces, including militias, everybody who could be called in for war, and it was a very big, big force. Secondly, the Ugandan army also had been depleted by defections. Many soldiers were not interested in fighting. Even the soldiers from Idi Amin's home, they were all running out leaving the city. So it was a bit easier for the Tanzanians and the Ugandan exile to take over Kampala, easier than when they first entered at Mtukula. So at this time, Radio Uganda had announced that soldiers of Uganda army should report to nearest police stations, nearest military barracks, nearest officials, At that moment, I was looking out for two people to whom I would surrender myself. One was Colonel Zed Maruru, who was a member of the military commission which had been formed in Tanzania of the exiles. And the other was Captain Babula, whom we had joined the army together and had been flying the presidential jet together. I wanted to report to one of those two so that they can make a decision where to take me. Wasn't Captain Babula with you in the army at that time? Captain Babula had uh, run away in 1977 to exile. He was at that time a pilot on the Boeing 707 Uganda Airline. So one time he went on a trip in the UK and he never came back and his family left the country as well. So after telling these ladies I want to report to Colonel Maruru or Captain Babula, the owner of the house, Miss Sharita, said we were too close to the road. And she had a friend who worked in another company who had a house in the same estate, but it was not on the road. And she knew this man was away, but his house help was there. So she went and talked to the house help, and the house help agreed, of course, and they came and took me to that house to stay with this house help, because it was a bit off the road. She thought every time soldiers are passing this house, they may be stopping just to check, and you never know when they would find me out. So after they got me to this new house, I stayed there and they would make food for me, bring food for me. 
and then they went on hunting for Kano Maroro or Captain Babula. Were they not risking their own lives for you? No, there was uh, no problem with the civilians. And the people to whom I was sending were near these were sober people at least, and they would not antagonize them at any time. So that's why I was sending them to these two people. And they did it without any remorse, although they did not find them. Good Friday ended and they could not find these people I wanted. So on Saturday they went out again and when they came back, they told me they had got Mr. Serumaga. Mr. Serumaga had been appointed an assistant minister in Irule's government. So they said, Mr. Serumaga, we know him very well. He has, I think, a child with one of our relatives. He has said tomorrow he will come at 7 p.m. at Akira police station, which was very near, maybe about 200 meters away, and he will take you. So I waited on Easter day, the whole day, and in the evening at around 6.30, those ladies came and took me. We walked to Kira police station, and I reported it to Kira police station, told them I was Lieutenant Kano Ali Kiza from the Air Force. I've come here to report because I've heard on Radio Uganda, they are saying all former soldiers and officers should report to the nearest authority. And so I've come here to report. So they put it in their books. It didn't take long and Mr. Serumaga arrived. When he came in, he said he was checking on security in police stations and things like that. He asked them to look around if they had any problem. They told him there is no problem. But we have got one officer here from the Air Force called Lieutenant Colonel Ali Kiza. Since he knew already, he didn't say what. He just said, can I see him? So they called me and I came and he greeted me. Then he told those people, okay, I will sign in the book. I'm going to go with him. So he put me in his car with his driver and bodyguard. We went to Nile Mansions, which is today's Serena Hotel. When we reached Serena Hotel, he left me with his bodyguard and he went inside. Let me not call it Serena Hotel when he reached Nile Mansion. This was maybe around 7.30 or 8 o'clock. When we waited, we waited, we waited for a long time. Maybe around 10.30 p.m. He came back and said, you come. They had already brought me food I had eaten, but he came and said, you come. So we went into the main lobby of the hotel. When we reached the main lobby, the first person I saw was Major Vazalachi. Major Vazalachi said, oh, Kiza, you're welcome. We greeted him, and then he said, Colonel Kiza, in 1977, when we made our plan, if we had told you, would you have joined us? That plan was the plan of the attempted coup, which I had talked about in an earlier episode. I told him it would depend on how you'd have presented it to me. He said, okay, I understand. As we were still talking, Yoweri Museveni and a Tanzanian officer, they came down to the hotel lobby. When they came down, Bazaraki introduced me to Mr. Museveni. Did you know him before that? Before that, uh, I did not know Museveni physically. But I knew Museveni existed because from 1971, he was always appearing in the papers, things like that. So I, I knew the name, but I didn't know the person. So Museveni, he said, oh, Kiza, you're welcome. Then he told the Tanzanian officer, he said, you know, this Kano is from uh, the same region like me. And they are the ones who have been fighting us. The other officer greeted me in Swahili. I didn't know his rank. And uh, we ended there and the seven left and went with that Tanzanian officer. 
from there at that time Kano Oito Joke also came when Kano Oito Joke came at the lobby Bazelech introduced me Oito Joke we had met while I was a very junior officer but I don't know whether he could remember me but maybe he could because he could maybe have been hearing about me so Oito Joke said okay let's send him to a place where he can spend a night so Oito Joke got a driver and a, a guard to take me to a house in Akasero area. Now, as we were about to leave, Major Ozaleki told him, Kano, it's a joke. If anything happens to Kano Kiza, you are responsible. Little joke just laughed it off and said, everything will be all right. So I go with these two soldiers, one driver, one bodyguard. We reach a house in Akasero residential area. When we entered the house, there was one officer sleeping in the sitting room. This officer was called Captain Enoch Nkuruho. Captain Enoch Nkuruho was a lawyer and working in the Ministry of Defense. And at one time we had met with Brigadier Mondo and talked of a possibility of making Colonel Mondo a temporary president if possible and calling the exiles and the Tanzanians so that Idi Amin gets out of the way. So Captain Nkuruho immediately told these soldiers, I said, oh, this is Kano Kisa, that's the one we were meeting with to make those plans you've heard of. So he's one of us. So the soldiers said, ah, okay. After saying that, then they talked in Luo. Both of them were Luos. Then they called me outside. They said, you come outside. When we went outside, they said, what money do you have? I said, I have some money, yes. He said, give us all the money. I got all the money out of my pocket. I handed it to them. Then when I handed them the money, one of them cocked the gun. Fortunately, Enoch, who was inside the main house, heard the cocking. He dashed out quickly and said, you people, what are you doing? I told you this is one of us. What are you doing? Then they just started laughing and said, oh, no, we're not doing anything. It is, uh, we are sorry, but there was nothing, nothing much. So in that moment, you were about to be executed. Yes, in that moment, I was about to be executed. And I think I owe my continuation of life to Captain Enoch Nkuruho. But did you recognize then and there that, okay, these people are about to shoot me? Did it register to you that this is how my life is going to end? Somehow it came to my mind. Because there was no need, since I was not fighting, there was no need of uh, cocking a gun. I was there without any arms, and uh, they had taken all my money. So were you like, guess this is it? Yeah, like, yes, this is it. But fortunately, Captain Enokunkuro dashed and saved my life. So that is further evidence of you being lucky. Because if he had maybe just moved away for a second into a different room, he would have never heard the gun cock and they would have shot you. That's a, a high possibility. So after Enoch told them to go away, they left. And I went in and spent a night there. The following day, when we woke up, he said, let's have some breakfast. Some soldiers were making some porridge. Then as we were having porridge, an officer who was in charge of this house comes. This officer was called Lieutenant Achungi. Lieutenant Achungi, we had trained together as pilots. He had run away after Amin took over, and he was now the one in charge of this place. He was happy to see me, and after breakfast he said, you know, let's go together. I want to go and check on other stations, how the patrol and the guarding is going on. He had a car, so... 
We went to us with the bodyguard. We drove to Ruvaga, to Naguru, to many different places. And we came back. This is Easter Monday of 1979. Then after coming back, we found a few other officers. Maybe one or two had joined us. Tuesday came. We stayed there. Nothing much happened. Then on Wednesday, officers from Nile Mansion came and said, I'm needed to go to Nile Mansion. I said, by who? They said, you come and we go. So I went to Nile Mansion. When I reached Nile Mansion, I found officers had arranged a press conference. In this press conference, there were Ugandan and some international press corps. They addressed the conference and said, in this conference, we are calling on all former soldiers to come back. And uh, here we have an example of Lieutenant Colonel Ali Kiza, who has been in the Air Force, and he reported he's here free. So we want him to tell all other soldiers to come. So I went on the air. I called all soldiers to come, giving myself as an example. I said I was a senior officer, and I have reported did you feel safe? Did you feel like nothing was going to happen to you? Well, that's what I felt. I thought these people were genuine. So I called soldiers and officers to come back. This was Wednesday. On Thursday, soldiers started coming back, but some of them were from very far. So they were sending them to our house, especially officers. But even the other soldiers were coming to our house. Then on Friday, many, many, many soldiers had turned up. They had all been sent to our house there in Nakasero. And the place became unhygienic because there was just a house toilet. The food became very scarce. The living became held, especially on that Friday. Then on Saturday morning, just around breakfast time, we saw buses coming, several buses. So when these buses came, they told us all to enter into the buses. They didn't tell us where we were heading. We entered into the buses, left Nakasero, and headed towards Kampala Road, just around the post office, the central post office. When we left the central post office, we turned the left, heading to Ginger side. So we didn't know whether we were going to turn on Entebbe Road to go to Entebbe or to Mutukula or wherever. But we saw them continuing on towards Ginger. So we didn't know really the plan, we just continued. Now, me, I was seated with the, my friend, Captain Kasami. We were wondering where they are taking us. When we reached Nakawa, they turned right. We thought they were taking us to Lozira prison. But immediately after turning right, we reached Nakawa military barracks. They took us inside the Nakawa military barracks. When we went into Nakawa military barracks, Kasami and I found there one soldier, Tachinitian, whom we had joined with in the army in 1966, but he had run away in 1971, was called Opia. This guy was not amused at all to see us. By seeing us, he was like he was looking at people who have made him suffer in the last eight years. He became so nasty against us. But fortunately, the officer in charge of the place was a senior police officer who had also been in exile, had come back with these people. So he tried to cool down uh, this Opia. Why was he so angry? He was angry because he had been in exile and we were here. But you were just pilots, like you had nothing to do with the political situation. Yeah, well, we were military people. But of course, what some people didn't realize, soldiers here were dying, were being killed by fellow soldiers. Some people didn't realize that. So that night, we hardly slept. 
because Opia was every time trying to really to make sure our life is miserable. Like how? Give us an example of what he was doing. He would tell you to get out and go back and get out. and So it was a very bad night for me and Kasami. They are the two people he knew who had joined with him. He didn't care about the others, but we two people whom he knew, he really didn't like us. The following day came Sunday. We were there. In the afternoon after lunch, we saw buses coming again. They told us to enter the buses because we still didn't know where they were going. They got out of the barracks. We got onto Ginger Road. They turned left, reached Entebbe Road. They turned left towards Maki India side. And we didn't know whether they were going to take us to Entebbe or to Mutukula or to Maki India. Maki India was the barracks and the prison. It was the military police. So when we reached the Kibuye roundabout, they turned left towards Makindia Barracks. So we went, entered Makindia Barracks, found there many other soldiers who had reported. So they said, okay, your officers, you will stay in this. There were some rooms which were good rooms. Each one of us had a room. And they addressed us that you are here for your own safety because the people outside there don't like you people. So we said, okay. They gave us some food. The following day, we still stayed there and more soldiers were coming in. Some people, relatives and one who started knowing that we were in Makindi, they started coming in to see us. They would be allowed and even to bring food. You were essentially in prison. Well, we were essentially in prison, but we were told we were there for our own safety. Now, soldiers who were with us could be allowed to go out, but officers we were not allowed to go out. So I had gotten some money while I was at Nakasero, because my money initially was all taken away from Nakasero. But I had talked to my brother, Mr. Abdukiria, who was at Nakawa College of Business, was a, a tutor there. He had come and brought me some money. So at Makindye, the food was very little. They would give you very little food. Small porridge in the morning, supper, some posho with beans or something like that. I had some money myself I would give to one of the soldiers. They go and buy me like roasted potatoes were the most common. Then relatives or friends, if they brought any food, the Tanzanian soldiers were very strict. They say, we don't want these officers to die here. And they say, we'll kill them. You must eat the food first before they taste the food. We liked their system. After about three or four days while we were there, at around 11 o'clock, we were called from our rooms. We were just resting. We had the freedom of moving outside within the barracks. They called us at the quarter guard. Quarter guard is the entrance normally into barracks. When they called us, we found their white journalists who had come. I found there my fellow officers. I reached there, they said, you go into the prison. In the quarter guard, they are normally prison. There is a prison where soldiers who are misbehaved, where they are kept. They told me to go to this prison. Just you? Me and the other officers. I protested. I said, you know, why should I go into prison? I see you, you have cameras. What is the essence for me going to the prison? So these white journalists said, you go inside the jail there. Of course, there are bars. You can take pictures from outside and see the people inside. They want us to go in the jail, and then they take pictures while we're inside there. I said, why are you doing that? They said, that's what we've been told. I told them, me, I cannot go in there to take pictures in a jail. I'm not in jail. As far as I'm concerned, I was sent here for my own safety. 
So I cannot go inside jail and you take pictures and start flashing them all over the world that I'm a prisoner. I'm not a prisoner. So the other senior officers supported me. They said, oh, yes, why? Why should we go into jail? What was their agenda? Why would they want those photos of you and the other officers appearing to be behind bars? I didn't know why the agenda was to show that Idi Amin soldiers were arrested and surrendered or to show that the new military had arrested people and put them in jail without trial. So I really don't know the agenda. So these journalists left. When they left, we were told to go back to our places. We stayed in our places. Now, at around this time, maybe the same day, Captain Babula came to see me. I was there in the jail with the Captain Terichia, who was our maintenance chief on the Gulf Stream on the presidential jet. So when Captain Babula came, he said, you know, our soldiers, they have secured in Akasongola. Presidential jet is there, so they have started guarding it. So we need to arrange to go there and pick it. So I said, okay, that's okay. Whenever you arrange, we'll be ready. So he said on Saturday, we'll go and pick this aircraft. So we were ready, Teriki and I. Babula came and picked us in the morning. He was staying in the Sheraton at that time. Took us to the Sheraton there. He left us in the car. We waited, we waited, we waited. Till sometime after lunch is when he appeared. We started on the journey to Nakasongola. We reached Nakasongola at nightfall, just as it was getting dark. We were taken to the officers' mess of the Tanzanians, and we were given dinner, and we were given where to spend a night. Following morning, we went to the airport, checked the aircraft, found that it was still flyable. So Babula became my co-pilot since I had been flying the same aircraft. We flew it, came and landed in Entebbe. From there, Babula and his driver, they took us directly to Sheraton Hotel, which was at that time Kampala International Hotel. It was not called Sheraton. So we reached Sheraton. They gave us each a room. So we were very happy. From a jail to a hotel, one of the best hotels in the country. A few days after that, another order came. I was called to go to meet Rule. I went to State House. I met Rule, told him how we had saved the aircraft. He was interested in that. He said he had other pilots he wanted to bring. I said, well, we are open to bring them. I told him I had already got information that the Tanzanian troops were looting many, many of the Air Force equipment. They had even already flown some of the aircrafts and they had crashed in Lake Victoria because they did not know how to fly them well. These were MiG-21 of the Russian type, but I understand they had a MiG-21 of the Chinese type, so they had a difference. So some of their pilots had crashed in Lake Victoria. But when I told Rule, he said, oh, you let them take, they have helped us a lot. I was shocked to hear a president of the country allowing another country to loot equipment of his country, although they had helped us, because that was not the way of paying back. So I left it there, I couldn't argue, I'm not a politician. I left it there and it just remained behind my mind. Then the first flight we did with Nyerere was to Mwanza. In Mwanza, President Nyerere was going to meet the Ugandan government officials. He came with Milton Obote. When we went for dinner, we joined the presidential group and we were going to have dinner all together. 
they started talking. Then Obote walked out of the dinner, very annoyed. I don't know what act him really. In my mind, it showed there was already a problem. Because if a former president, who is still in exile, walks away from the present president in disgust, it shows there is a rift already. You were like, here we go again, another coup. Here we go again. So we came back, and after this time, we had not done maintenance on our aircraft for a long time. We decided to take the aircraft for maintenance to the USA. But before doing that, we had done another flight with the President Lule to then Zaire, now Congo DRC, and met President Mabutu. And we had done also another flight with him to Dar es Salaam. I think those are the only three flights I did with the President Lule in his time. So we arranged to go take the aircraft for maintenance in the USA. Lule gave us part of his family. We took them in London. We left them in London. Went to the USA. The day we landed in the USA, in the evening news, I tuned on CBS evening news. Those days, even USA had only three television stations all over the country. There was CBS, ABC, and NBC. So I, I normally liked CBS, so I tuned on CBS. The newsreader, Walter Cronkite, came on news and said, In Uganda, President Olule has been ousted and replaced by President been Issa. I said, what? I called my friends. I said, have you watched the news? They said, no. So the president really has been removed. Now there is president Bin Issa, but I don't know who Bin Issa is. You're like, who is this Arab? <laughs> I couldn't know who is Bin Issa. So we tried to call around because the news was at around 6 p.m., which would have been around 1 a.m. here. But when it came to middle of the night, we called a few people here. They knew. The news anyway came out and we were told President Rule had been removed and Binaisa had become the new president. So we stayed there. We did our maintenance. And after the maintenance, we came back. When we landed, Chogam, the meeting of the Commonwealth Heads of Government, was being held in Lusaka, Zambia. So we found President Binaisa had been taken to Zambia by the Tanzanian presidential jet. Then they told us that now you have to go and pick President Binaisa, pick him from Zambia. We went the following day, we picked President Binaisa, but they gave us a program. We are going to Nairobi, we are going to spend a night in Nairobi, then tomorrow we'll go back to Uganda. We reached Nairobi and they told us President would like to meet his crew tonight around 10 p.m. So just before 10 p.m., we went to his suite. We waited for him to come from his room. He came. He started addressing us. When it came to 11 o'clock, Tanzanian officers, they came and said, Sir, it is time to go to bed. I was shocked. How a guard tells a president to go to bed. And he left and went to bed. It was a shock to me. It means Vinaisa was really a puppet, a puppet of the Tanzanians. As I told you, I was staying in the Sheraton Hotel. How long did you stay at Sheraton? I stayed at Sheraton from 1979 in May to 1980, around February. So they didn't want you to go home? They wanted you to stay there? Obviously, it was the government paying for it. Yes, the government was paying for it, but I I had no home. Our homes in Entebbe had all been looted. There was nothing. 
And because they were government houses, some had been occupied by the incoming officers of Tanzania and Uganda. After this, in 1980, in May, I had gone to my country home in Masindi. All of a sudden, I heard on the news that President Binaisa has made changes in government. He has made Oitojok ambassador to Algeria. He had made Paul Mwanga, who was the chairman of the military commission, minister of, I think, East African Affairs or something like that. He had made Colonel Nanyumba the commander of armed forces. I sensed something wrong. I wouldn't see Colonel Nanyumba going to become army commander when there is Oitojok being made ambassador. And Mwanga, who was the chairman of the military commission, being made a minister of East African Community instead of minister of internal affairs, I sensed something not right. The following day, Sunday, maybe that night, they announced that Vinaisa uh, had been removed. The military commission had taken over control of the government, with Mwanga as the head and Museveni um, as his deputy. On Sunday morning, I woke up very early and started driving back. I found some roadblocks, but the roads were so bad, I arrived in the evening. In the morning, President Binaisa calls me. Because he had been removed from the state house, he was staying in a house in Entebbe on Church Road. So he called me. He said, I want you to take my people to Dar es Salaam. I said, your people, sir? He said, yes. He said, let me find out first. So the following morning, I woke up very early and dashed to Nile Mansion to find the people who were in power. At that point, you didn't know. I didn't know. Vinaisa had been officially put out of government, and Mwanga was the new commander. So I got into Nile Hotel, and I couldn't find people to talk to, but I eventually talked to one strong UPC guy called Tibe Rondwa. He was a minister. I told him the scenario that Vinaisa wanted me to take people to Dar es Salaam, his people, but I don't know how, where to start now. He said, okay, let me take you to Itojok. He took me to Itojok. Itojok said, Binaisa is no more a person of consequence. He's no more the president, so he cannot give you any orders. So you just stay put. I just went back to my house and stayed put. I think we'll continue from here next episode. All right. Thank you, Dad. Obviously, that time was very eventful. Things were happening left and right. Governments were changing every single year, practically. So in the next episode, we'll hear about the early 1980s in Uganda and the military government that came on. So we'll start from there. Thank you, everyone, for listening. See you next Tuesday.